Welcome to the Solomon's Porch Podcast, the podcast from the worship experience of Solomon's Porch at Valdosta First United Methodist Church. We want you to be encouraged and inspired in your faith journey. So sit back and relax, unless you're driving or using heavy machinery, and enjoy. Good morning, it's good to see you. Um, you know that, that song we just sang, I, you know, I heard it at the 930 service and I was just I was thinking about this. It's, I mean, the song is called Transfiguration, and it's, it's, you know, whoever wrote the song was trying to put into words this very holy moment, this very holy experience when, when Jesus is transfigured before a few of his disciples, and then they, you know, they see some prophets come down. It's like this very holy moment of of God, of God revealing through Jesus Christ who He is. And, um, and then, you know, this, the, the artist who wrote the song is trying to put that into words, trying to capture something like that. It's, it's difficult, but it's important for us to do. It's an, important for us to be able to try to capture um, the truths of who God is, of who Jesus is, of who the Holy Spirit is. It's important for us to try to capture those and put them into words that we can understand. It's important for us to put them into words so that then we can in turn uh, be able to share that, those truths with someone else. It's very important. And, and maybe sometimes we fall short from that. And maybe sometimes we, we just nail it. But it's important for us to do this. And as we have been spending the last couple of weeks together, we're finishing up this series called We Believe. And, and we've been looking. You know, Last week we, we walked through the Apostles' Creed together, which for some of you is the first time you'd really done that. And others of you, it was like, yeah, I got this thing down pat. But we stopped and we kind of paused and we looked at what was being said and why we said it, because someone at some point, a group of people, you know, at, some, at a, a council somewhere a long, long, long time ago, they put these words down and they said, these are important for us because as Christians, this is what we believe. We spent the first week in the series talking about really a, a very specific, um, you know, why we're doing this worship service in this church, what we believed about why we were starting this whole ministry to, to reach you know, unchurched people and ex-church people and, and to share the gospel in a new, different way. Um, today, what I want us to do is to talk about some, some of the, the main, some of the basic United Methodist beliefs. Because it, it's, I mean, it's just one of those deals. When, when you have a church and, and, and you have people come to the church, not every single person that walks in the door you know, was like a, a cradle to, to their current place in life have been a part of that particular denomination, that particular um, uh, faith or church. And so we thought it was really important for us to look at what are some of the main beliefs of the United Methodist Church. And we're going to look at some words today that are important. Again, that somebody at some point said, we're going to try to nail this down. We, we might not be able to explain it completely, but this is what we believe. And so we want to do that together, some of the specifics of these beliefs. And, and there's no other place to start than with God. What do we believe about God? Who is God? Who is he? Well, basically, he is God in three persons. He is God the Father. He is God the Son in Jesus Christ. And he is God the Holy Spirit. We have a God in three persons. We have a trinity. He is, he is present in all three ways. He is not. Um, he is indistinct persons but yet he is God. And if you try to get me to explain that any more than that, that's about all I got. Because that's just one of those big things. You just can't really explain it. But oh my goodness, we believe it to be true. God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. 
Now, what is it that this God does, this powerful, amazing, triune God? What is it that he does? Well, we believe in the United Methodist Church, where I think a lot of the faiths believe. I don't think you'll find too much stuff today that goes way off course or, or makes you scratch your head. But we believe this about God, a few things. One is that he creates. He is a creating God. Um, he didn't come onto the scene after a, a, a giant explosion that, that kind of happened. He's not really sure, but he decided to show up and be God. No, he has created it all from the very beginning. And it says in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. I mean, you see from the very beginning the presence of God. You see him there. Not only does God create, but we also believe that God sustains. What that means is, is he didn't set all this into motion and then sit back and go, well, we'll see what happens. No, God is sustaining his creation. He continues to be a part of what he has set into motion. He is, he is present. He is, he is active in this creation. Um, he is involved in our human He's involved in our human history, in our past. He's involved in our present. And he will be involved in our future. He is a sustaining God. He is present all the time. He's not somewhere way far off. Good news about this is that God loves. We believe this, that God is a loving God. He's not just a, a far off creator. He's not, um, but he is, he is full of love. He loves his creation, all that he created and, and particularly, he loves humanity, humankind, that he, he put within us his, his divine image. We were created in it. And he put within us each a, a desire to know him, an opportunity to be in relationship with him. So he loves creation. Again, he's not distant and far off. We believe this as United Methodists, that God judges. And that's one of those words you hate to hear because it's not always fun to hear. But it's true. That God, uh, that, that all human behavior, that all of us, that our activity, our choices, our decisions are, are measured by God's righteous standards. He has righteous standards. And we have an opportunity to live up to those righteous standards. And, and, and not only behavior itself, but actually our intent, our motive behind why we do what we do or why we don't do what we do. All those things, God sees us, he knows our heart, and uh, he knows our sin. And we're judged by it. Good news is, what we believe as United Methodists is that God redeems. And so when we stand in that judgment and we realize how very short we are from his standard, we understand this, that God redeems. He is a redeeming God. Our, he has infinite love for each of us. He forgives us. He, he, he understands our self-destructive nature. I mean, left to our own devices, we're going to mess things up. There's just, there's just no other way around it. We can try really hard, but we're going to mess things up. And so God is saying, I am one who redeems. And, and of course, he sets this redemption into motion. He sets this redemption into, into place by Jesus. So let's look at Jesus for a minute. We believe this as United Methodists about Jesus. He is the son of God. He is part of this, uh, that, that God is wholly present in Jesus Christ. You know, in Matthew and Luke, you read the account and you see where, where Jesus has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. In John, uh, he refers to Jesus as the Word, capital W, Word. and says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And so you see the presence of God through Jesus Christ. He became flesh and he lived among us. 
Not only that, but we believe that Jesus is the son of man. And what we mean by that is that he is fully human. That everything you've ever experienced, Jesus has, has experienced. He, he, um, he was tempted. He got tired. He cried. If it was hot outside, he was going to sweat. If it was cold outside, he was going to shiver. Everything you ex have experienced as a human being, Jesus has experienced. He was fully human. And Jesus is God's picture of us, of what, what perfection looks like. A mature person looks like. Not only that, do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man, but then we have some, some names for him, some titles for him. We call him Christ. Some of us say Jesus Christ, as if Christ were his last name. But it's not. It's a title. Christ is, is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. And Messiah means, what does the Messiah mean? Anyone know? I love that answer, Drew. I love you. But, but Messiah means that he is God's anointed one. He is the one that came to save. He is the one who was chosen. He was specially chosen. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying you're the one that's going to set into motion the, the, the salvation of the world. Which leads us to the next one. Uh, we call him Lord. We call Jesus Lord, this title that we give to him. Um, He's the one we give our allegiance to. He's the one that we say, you are the Lord of my life. No one else has um, authority over my life except for you. And listen, some of us are going, that's right, nobody else. No one else has authority over my life, only God. Oh, except for me sometimes. Sometimes I have authority. Sometimes I'm Lord. Sometimes I'm in charge. Sometimes I'm not submitting my will to yours, God, and actually I'm just choosing my own. So we need to keep that in perspective because we can read all these things and go, yeah, that's not me. I'm, I'm, I'm number one Christian. I'm varsity Christian. And we realize, well, you know, sometimes we're, we're, we're not. We, we've got to understand this. These are why words are so powerful. We need to attempt to capture these truths into words. But then the challenge is, is we've got to balance that and not let these words just become something that we say that rolls off our tongue and loses its power. Because a lot of us will say, yes, Jesus is my Lord. But are we living as if Jesus is our Lord? We also call him Savior. We believe that Jesus is a Savior. He's the one that, that God has, has freed us of our sin. And he's, God has used him and given us the, the gift of life, eternal life. has given us salvation. And God has done this through Jesus. You, you hear me say that often is that there's God, and then there's us, and there's this huge gap between us, and God made a way through Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. I remember as a new Christian, and um, I, I, I grew up in a, in a faith where uh, everything was really, um, I mean, when, we, when I went to church, when, when my mom made us go to church, um, we would go, and you would hear a lot of repetition and things like that, but nothing ever really sunk in, and so I had heard words and I'd heard people say things, but I never understood the power of them. I never really grasped the meaning of them. So now I'm a new believer and I'm trying to express this to my brother and I'm trying to tell him that, you know, that my life is different, that I have been reading the Bible and I, I believe some stuff that I didn't believe before. And I was trying to say to him that I had become a Christian and I, and I felt, I think I was stumbling around and he didn't really get it. And finally I just said, Brian, I'm saved. And he said, from what? God. <laughs> From what? Because see, that we use words, but what's the power behind them? And so I sat there thinking, 
yeah, what, what did I, what, what am I saved from? You know, because I just, I was using the jargon. I'd heard the jargon, so I'm using the jargon. And so I stopped and I paused because I knew that this was an important question for me to answer to him. And so I said, three things. I said, from death. Um, from hell. You know, fire insurance. Myself. See, in that moment, I'll never forget that moment because I had to explain what it meant to say that I was saved, that I had a Savior. I had to be able to do that. See, words are so important for us, but we need to know what it is we're saying if we're going to be people who communicate these truths. Um. So those are the things we believe. This, we know who, this is what we believe about God. This is what we believe about Jesus. A few things about what we believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, we believe this, that the Holy Spirit is God's present activity in the world. That, that God set everything in motion. He, um, he spoke through prophets. He revealed himself in these miraculous ways all throughout the Old Testament. He did some, some stuff that just like, you know, movie makers are trying to reproduce. And it's just they can't do it. Then Jesus comes along and he creates this new covenant and he bridges this gap between us and God and now we have a way. But then Jesus is now, according to that Apostles' Creed we said last week and looking at scripture, is that Jesus is now in the presence of God. He's sitting at God's right hand. And what we have today, what is present today, if you're a follower of Christ as part of this world, is the Holy Spirit. And to ignore that, you're, just, you're missing out. To ignore that is almost saying, well, I don't really believe because I'm not accepting, but the Holy Spirit is present. Listen, you've been nudged before. We talked about this last week. You thought of something. You, you felt like you should call someone, and you did, and oh my goodness, and, and God used you. There's times you felt like you should make a decision, or, or on paper, it looked like you should totally choose A, but you just knew there was just something that said choose B, and it was the Holy Spirit leading you. The Holy Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit is present when we read God's Word. You can read a, a verse on a Tuesday and, and get something out of it and then read it again on a Thursday and get something totally different and then read it a year from now and God will show you something completely different than the first two times. That's the Holy Spirit ministering. This is, how, this is what happens. This is how the Holy Spirit ministers to us. And to ignore that or to not give it credit, we're just wrong. We're just wrong to not allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1-8, he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He was, he was saying, look, don't, you know, it's not, yes, you're my followers, but listen, the power's really going to come. It's coming. Stay put, he said. And then in Acts 2, chapter 4, or Acts chapter 2, verse 4, we find out later, as they're all waiting and praying, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. That day of Pentecost. So we see this. The early Christians were so aware of God's Holy Spirit leading. And this is what we believe is United Methodist. That, that is God's current activity in the world is through the Holy Spirit. This is what we believe about the church. The importance of the church. Um, it's this. It's that You've heard me say this as well. That this is the body of Christ. That we are, we are a communion of saints. This is an extension of Christ's life and ministry in the world today. This is the purpose. This has been set up. We are here not to just gather together and, and sing songs for a while. As, as awesome as that is. As to worship. To lift our voice in praise. As amazing as it is, is to eat that fried chicken at church night supper. You know, As awesome as that is. That's not the purpose of the church. 
The purpose of the church is to, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's like our official line as a United Methodist Church. That's what we believe is our purpose. is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. This is what we believe about the church being the communion of saints. That we are a community made up of, of people who are following after Jesus. None perfect. All seeking after the Lord. That we want to grow together. We want to learn together. And we believe we're called together to worship. We believe this is part of our, our purpose. And, and to support others in the life of faith. This is what we believe as United Methodists about the purpose of the church. The Bible, obviously, very, very important. God speaks to us through the scriptures. God speaks to us. He directs us. This is God's word. And the authority of scripture derives from the movement of God's spirit whenever those words were first put down on papyrus or parchment or whatever it was. We believe the Holy Spirit of God was working then and that the Holy Spirit of God is still working today as we read those words. We believe that the Holy Spirit of God was working when, when a group of people met together and said, all right, let's look at all these historical documents. And we're going to put these all together. The fancy word was when they canonized the scripture. And they brought all these documents in and said, we believe these are the scriptures. That God, through his Holy Spirit, wanted these written and we're putting them together. And this is, this is the Bible. We believe this, that, that the Bible is important and it, it continues to speak to us today. It's not just a history book. It's what we believe about the scriptures. In a moment, as, as J.D. and Shannon mentioned during the announcements, is that on the first Sunday of every month, we participate in communion together. And we believe that communion is one of two sacraments. This is where, uh, with some um, faiths, maybe things uh, start to sound a little more different. I think so far, hopefully, you've been like, yep, check, 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 we're good. Now we're talking about the sacraments. And we believe that this word sacrament, it just it means the word holy. And we believe what makes uh, the sacrament of communion and the sacrament of baptism holy is that Jesus experienced these and then he told us to participate in them. Um, and so we say, yes, we want to participate in these. If you were here last week, we got to baptize uh, two of our young people. And, and today, as we take communion, you will get to be a part of this as well. We believe these sacraments are holy. And, and this is what I want to say um, about, about those. As... As United Methodists, we see these sacraments as, we don't see them as um, because we call them holy, that that is literally the body of Christ and literally uh, his blood in a cup. Uh, we don't believe that upon someone having uh, going underneath the water that something happens in such a way that now suddenly they're saved. We don't believe that by calling those things holy that they in of themselves have the power to do anything. We believe these, we view these as symbols. We view these as um, opportunities to participate in what Jesus did. We call them, there's a term we use in the United Methodist Church called the means of grace. And what we, what we mean by that is that these are, in effect, I'm pointing over here because that's where we did the baptism last week. Just pretend there's a baptism thing happening here. Um, but we call them means of grace because we say this is a vehicle by which we get to participate in something that, that, that Jesus did and he's calling us to. That he's, he's offering to us as a way to participate in the life of the church. Um, in regard to baptism, uh, water obviously is used. Um, Jesus participated in, a, in that way. And we see that again as this vehicle to participate in something. It's a way to represent new life in Christ. It's a way to represent cleansing. It's, it's a way to represent um, the power of the Holy Spirit is often seen um, in water. 
And the thing about baptism is, and it'll be the same for communion, is that baptism doesn't become holy because a person said, hey, I want to be baptized. And suddenly that makes the baptism holy. No, what we recognize in baptism is the work that God has already done. We recognize the salvation that came through Jesus Christ. We recognize in baptism that new life has been offered, and we celebrate that. You know, so you will see, for instance, last week, I, took, I had water in a bowl for a young man, Joe, and I, and I put it on his head. Well, his sister, Kate, said, I, I want it poured. So I had the pitcher, and I poured. Well, the week before that, I was at a swimming pool uh, baptizing Anna Gibson. And, and I've done that in the Alapaha River and in the Caribbean and in a hot tub in Oklahoma in wintertime. And, you know, who knows where else we'll do it, you know. But see, it's not about the, the, the mode. It's not about um, the way in which the water's given that we celebrate. We brought a tub in here. Remember when we brought that in here a couple weeks ago? We'll do it again if we need to. I love it. And we baptized uh, Carson and Colby right here by immersion. So we believe that it's the recognition of the saving work of Jesus Christ, offering new life. To those. So we, we celebrate the work of God in those, and it's not about the person who desires it as much as it is about the, what God has done in it. And it's true also in communion. Um, you know, we see the grace of God in, in communion because we remember in a very tangible way, in a few moments, you will have bread placed in your hand. You will feel it, you'll smell it, you'll taste it. And then you'll be able to dip it in a cup. And again, you will, you'll taste it, you'll feel it, you'll see it. And it's this way for us to engage and to be reminded of and to celebrate this holy experience that Jesus went through. It is to be reminded of his death, to be reminded of his resurrection, of that bridging the gap between God and us through Jesus Christ. We, when we celebrate communion today... Um, one of the things that happens, if, if you grew up in a traditional uh, United Methodist Church, or if you've even been in our sanctuary services today, they will use something called liturgy, which is like historical sayings, historical writings, things that we learn and we repeat and we say. The Apostles' Creed is part of our liturgy in the United Methodist Church. Well, today I want to do something that we haven't done in our 14 years of doing our ministry of Solomon's Porch. Because when we started, what we, what we thought was we, need to, we want to share the gospel in ways people get. And, and we might want to avoid, on occasion, repetitious things that just become noise. You know? There's things that you know. We talked about this last week. There's things that you know. There's things that you memorize. And they've lost their meaning because it's just become so ingrained. But today I want to share with you this liturgy, a portion of it, that we would say... Uh, before receiving communion together because the words are so amazing. Somebody sat down and tried to capture this, this holy sacrament and, and tried to help people prepare to receive it. And, and the words are beautiful. They're jarring, to be honest with you. I know some people that actually, they don't really like part of the liturgy we're about to say because it's so harsh. It, 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 you realize your need for a savior and so I want us to say these words together, and I'll pause a little bit through them and make sure we're, we're on the same, uh, you know, we're all kind of tracking with it. But there's power in these words. And these are, this is what we believe in the United Methodist Church about the sacrament of communion. 
I'll challenge you. I say this a lot. If you know these words we're about to say, say them slower. Try it with a British accent. Do something so that it's not so normal in your brain, okay? I'm going to hear some people trying to do a really bad South Georgia uh, British accent. It's going to be funny. No, don't really do that. But, but listen, think about this. As you say them, think about what you're saying. Think about what you're confessing. Because maybe you've kind of just skipped over these words so many times and you've, you've lost the power that, that someone captured. And if this is the first time, I don't know, try to see it bigger than, I'm just repeating some words right now I see on a screen, but really stop and, and think about it and engage it and soak it in. But I'm going to say these words and, and some part I will say and then there'll be a part where we'll say together and there'll be a part where you repeat something back. So we'll follow along and do this together. But this would be the, the beginning of our liturgy called the invitation to communion. And this is as a leader, as I, I would say. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Now, the first time I heard those words, I did like a giant timeout. Beep. Hold on about confessing my sins before other people. Anyone want to do that? Anyone, anyone game for that? You want to jump up and start confessing your sins right now? I got a microphone up here. We got a couple. We could just do like a round thing. Everyone can just like jump up here. and so, No one wants to do that. Who wants to confess their sins before other people? The first time I read this, I was like, oh, dear. Well, here's the thing about this liturgy. So just relax. You don't have to confess anything out loud, okay? So, I mean, not specifics right now, okay? That's for you and God. But listen, the first time I heard this, I thought, oh, and then I read the next part, which we're about to say together, and you're going to see something. It is important. Hear me on this. It is important for us as individuals to be able to name, to recognize specifics about where we have fallen short. People we've hurt, uh, ways we have, you know, neglected to do something or, you know, or we shouldn't have done what we did do. You know, I mean, it's important for us to be able to assess that because otherwise you could just gloss it over and be like, that was no big deal. It's important for you to take the time in your life to be able to name those things, to be able to sit quietly before God and do that. But corporately, as the body of Christ, it's important for us to realize that we are just because maybe you, you made a declaration for Jesus when you're eight years old, that, that it's not all said and done, that we are constantly on this journey of faith and that we're moving towards it. And it's, it's important as the body of Christ to say, wow, we are not perfect and we have fallen short and we need to admit that before as a group we receive communion together. It's important. So I want you to hear these words. Because you're going to say them, so hear them while you're saying them too. But this is called the confession and the pardon, which is a good part of the confession. But let's say these words together on the screen. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I always say Jesus Christ our Lord. I do it every time, even though it's written right there for me. Would you go back to the beginning of that? See, this is the stuff I said. This is kind of jarring. 
The next time, um, spouses, the next time you, are, you know you've blown it, you know you're in trouble, look at your spouse and go, merciful honey, you know, or merciful sweetheart. Because see, it's really smart to start this prayer this way because it's almost like you're saying, by the way, God, you're merciful. You know, because I'm about to tell you some stuff and it's not good, but you are so merciful, God. Merciful, sweet cheeks. That's what I would say to, to Drew. Um, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes, I do. I love Jesus with my whole heart. I love all my heart. I love Jesus. Got all my heart. Our heart is so divided. Our heart can be so, so divided. There are so many things, so many good things that can take the place of God that will supersede his place. We, that's a confession that's important to make. We have failed to be an obedient church. We recognize that as a group of people that we are far from perfect and we, we, there have been things that we could do as the church. There are things that we could say as the church. There are, there are things going on in the world that as the church... Have we stood up and said, no, stop. Why are you doing that? We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. See, to admit that is admitting our, our understanding of our sin. Like I said a minute ago, it's important for us to know where we stand in this. Next, next uh, screen. We have rebelled against your love. You know what it means to rebel against God's love? Yeah. It means to say something to the effect of, no, I got this one, God. You know, I, I, need you, I need you to help that little baby that I know that is sick. But as far as this situation over here, this is happening over there. No, I got that. Don't need you on that. I don't need your love. I don't need your, I don't need your saving grace. I don't need your work in this. I've got this part. You just handle this part. I've got this one. We rebel against his love. We're saying, no, I don't need it. We've not loved our neighbors. You know, sure, maybe you got out the, the chainsaw and went and helped the next-door neighbor this week with the tree that was down, and that's great and all. But sometimes our neighbors are not necessarily the people that live right next door. And there are people that we know, people we're in proximity to, that have needed our help, and for one reason or another, we have failed them. We haven't loved them. We haven't heard the cry of the needy. Usually when we hear a cry, if it's not our own, we want to turn it off, change the channel, leave the room, distraction. We've not heard the cry. Forgive us, we pray. This recognition of our need for God in our life. And this is what I love. It's not just, please God, forgive me so that I can sleep better tonight because, boy, I knew I blew it. No, forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Free us so that we can do the things we just admitted we haven't been very good at. Free us to be able to do these things. This joyful obedience through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So this is part of this prayer. This, this, um, this is the confession part. So I started with the invitation, welcoming us to the table. We've all just made this confession. Here's the good part. The pardon. Oh, I want to mention this one thing because you don't see it up on the screen. But if you were to be reading your, if you were to have a hymnal in front of you right now, a book of worship that has this written in there, there's this part after amen that would have two brackets before the next part where I have my speaking thing. And in the brackets it would say, all pray in silence. 
And um, I, I remember the very first time that I, that I did this, and it came to the brackets of all pray in silence. And I wasn't, I wasn't leading it. I was participating. And I had just been kind of overwhelmed by what, we just, what I had just said, you know, the words I was speaking. And it came to those brackets, all pray in silence. And so I'm bowing my head, and I'm sitting here thinking about all these things. And, next thing, and then the leader starts going on the next thing. And I'm like, oh, I certainly did not have enough time to really, to really just process all that was just said and all that I just said. And I really think about it, if we were to really allow those words, that, that admittance of, of how much we have failed and, and how much we haven't been obedient to the Lord, that those brackets would be very, very, very long. And I don't know how quiet it would be after a while. Because upon true reflection, I wonder if, if we might start shedding a little tear, if we might start sniffling, if there might start be some ugly sobs going of our understanding of how we've dropped the ball in our relationship with God. But after we have said all this, after we have made this confession, then the leader says this, hear the good news. See, now I got y'all low. You're like, oh, this is horrible. Hear the good news. Hear the, the really good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. See, we just admitted our sin. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Isn't that good news? Someone saying amen to that? And I don't want to be left out of this good news, so would you mind saying the next part here? Here, where is it? There you go. And then together we say, glory to God. Amen. See, again, see these words here. These words, it's glory to God. It's like, yeah, glory to God. Amen. Let's keep moving. Next thing. But do you understand? Like, we have admitted how, how much we have, have just messed it up. And we haven't lived into it. And then we receive this pardon. Realizing how God has reached out to us through Jesus Christ. It proves his love for us because... When we totally didn't deserve it, he reached out to us. And we and glory to God, amen. I mean, isn't this like a glory to God? Isn't it? So you can just say that in your head, I guess, later. Thanks for listening to the Solomon's Porch Podcast. We hope you heard some good practical news in this episode that you can apply to your life. If you'd like, we'd love for you to review our podcast on iTunes and share it with your friends. You can also support our ministry by going to theporchvaldosta.com slash give. Until next time, stay classy, listening friends.